to be back together and uh, we're continuing on in the book of Luke. Uh, so if you want to turn your Bibles there in chapter 13. Carrying on from where Forrest left off last week. Uh, Forrest is in America um, for the International Campus Ministry Conference. He's there giving a lesson for all the campus ministers and campus leaders throughout America. Um, and he'll be back Wednesday. So be praying for a safe journey back. Um, Amen. Uh, the title of our sermon today is The Agony and the Festivity. Cool. Agony and the Festivity. Starting in Luke chapter 13. It says, Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you'll say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he'll reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their place at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last will be first and first who will be last. At that time, some of the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, go tell that fox. I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on toward on today and tomorrow and the next day. For surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were not willing. Look, your house has left you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. Uh, uh, scripture, uh, a bit of passage we're quite familiar with. Um, if you've studied the Bible, you've probably studied this. If you've studied other people, you've probably studied this. And, and with passages that we read a lot, we can sometimes become familiar. And they cannot have the, the same impact that they once did. And so today we're going to be studying this out and prayerfully let it impact our hearts. Again, maybe like it did the first time. Uh, and so Jesus is going through the towns and villages, teaching and and he gets to Jerusalem, or he's on his way to Jerusalem, and someone asks him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And it's an interesting question. Because he's like, why, why, why was he thinking this? Why did he want to ask this? He probably had heard maybe some of other Jesus' other sermons, or, or maybe he'd heard other people talking about some of Jesus' other sermons, and in particular Matthew 7, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. 
narrow door, narrow way, and only a few find it. And this man probably wasn't relaxed in the mind by this idea. And I'm sure any of us, if if the Messiah came and, and he'd arrived and his message for the people is only a few of you will make it, we, we wouldn't be feeling too great. So, Jesus, this whole few thing, how, how does that really work? Is it a, is it a few? Or is it a few? <laughs> is it a relative fewness? What exactly do you mean? Um, we probably all want to ask the same thing, I'd imagine. And we probably even have asked the same thing. How much is, is this really? We, we want to know. We, we want to uh, have definite answers. And, and again, this man is probably asking also for himself. Hoping the guy might say, yes, Jesus will say, yes, a few, but, but you're one of the Jews, you're right. Those Gentiles, though, no. But it's, it's interesting, he does, doesn't even actually answer the man, but it says he addresses the crowd. So he, he, he takes his chance to address everyone. Yes, the man, but everyone, us. And he says, make every effort. So apparently there's this, this door is narrow, there's a narrow way, it requires every effort. But as we read it, it, we also get this image that it's only open for a certain period of time. There'll be a time when people, the door is closed and people knock and, and it will not be open. So there's this door of opportunity for all of us to enter into eternity. So we're not to disregard it or allow it to, or allow it to not be our first priority. And it's a dangerous thing to backburn at Jesus' invitation here. It's a dangerous thing. And in uh, verse 25, it gives this imagery. It says, Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading. Sir, open the door for us. But he'll answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you'll say, we, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he replied, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. Now, now in Eastern culture... The, the idea of having a meal with someone was very intimate. This table fellowship, if, you, if you'd have that, that's, you guys are tight. You're good. You're sweet. And, and probably even in our culture as well, inviting, especially in English culture, I feel like people, once you're in your home, it's your safe place. And so inviting people in, that, that's a big deal. And so this guy, or well, these people in this parable... But, but Jesus, we, we ate and drank with you. You taught in our streets. And, and this, this for, for many people, is, for probably all of us, is one of the most frightening passages in the Bible. That, that you can be thinking you're so close, yet you're so far. And, and it's a scary picture. So even picturing God coming to us and saying, I don't actually know you. We all just... But... But what? And so it's, it's something that we need to take to heart and say, okay, let me make sure. And in verse 28 to, to 29, he says, There will be weeping there, gnashing of teeth, when you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you yourselves thrown out. 
People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their place at the feast in the kingdom of God. And this leads us to our first point, which is agonise. Agonising. Again, this can be a scary image, but, but it can actually also be an inspiring image. Especially the way it ends out here with the feast. In the, the, the feast in the kingdom of God. Where, where people will come from east and west, all those unlikely people, this is basically saying, will come and join in in the feast of God. With all the prophets throughout the ages, and you imagine what a feast this will be. And you know, when, when you're having dinner with people, you obviously always want there to be good conversation, and, and we love talking and asking people questions, you know, how did, if it's a couple, how did you guys meet? What was the story? How did he win your heart? How did you overlook all his flaws? And we love hearing interesting stories. Imagine some of the conversations that will go on in this feast. It won't just be how great England played against Sweden, or maybe we'll still be remembering that, because, no, no. It, it won't be that, it'll... It'll be conversations between you and different prophets and and different spiritual men and women throughout the Bible. You'll lean in and and you'll hear, overhear someone say, so there I was. There was this nine foot dude and, and he was calling down curses on God's people, on God. The whole kingdom was was scared. Even the king. And I didn't know what to do, but I thought, there's no way I'm letting this happen. And so I picked up some stones and, and I said, I'm taking this dude down. <laughs> and it was amazing. God worked. <laughs> what, but, but how did you feel, David? What, what, were you ever scared? Did you ever want to run? What, what, what was going on? Imagine the conversations. So, Shadrach. Everybody bows down. The whole entire city. What did that look like? And for you to stand tall. What did you think would happen? And as they threw into the furnace, did you feel it? Or well, like, what went on there? And that, the fourth figure in the, in the furnace, who was that? We think it's Jesus. Who was that? You think, wow, the conversations that will go down. And they're just people. We'll be sitting next to our Father in heaven. God, what, as, as my life panned out, did you ever lose hope? It's like, no, I, I knew, don't worry. Thank you so much. But it'll just be amazing. What a celebration. What festivity. And so that's why Jesus, he gets here and he says, don't, don't just try to enter. Make every effort to enter. It's worth it. And it will make all the difference. And really, it comes down to the difference between two words in this passage, which is agonizomai and zateo. Uh, the Greek word for make every effort is agonizomai, and the Greek word for try is zateo. Uh, and, and, and the difference between these two is of great significance. That, that Jesus wants us to know that it's not just about having an association with him, 
Not just about being here in this church. Not just about sitting down and reading our Bible. Not just being exposed to church things, but but that at some point you'll dig down deep and say, I'm going to surrender my heart to God. That, that God, you will have it all. It's going to be messy, I'm going to make mistakes, but, but you have my heart. And this is, this is this imagery that we get of agonizomai. And we have this contrast of ideas and, and zateo, this try. It's, again, it's this idea of trying and, and desiring. It's actually used in good forms as well. Uh, but, but again, it's, so it's this trying, desiring, wanting, but it's just that. It's just, it, it sort of ends at a desire, at a want. And the scary thing is, is if, if you ask Christians, how's your walk going? Or if you've been asked that question, you probably often hear, it's going not too bad, I'm trying. How's your prayer life going? Your purity? Whatever. It's tough, it's going okay, I'm trying. But this is kind of a scary imagery right here. That Jesus says, no, 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 don't just try. Because guess what? That, that's the broad path. That's it. You describe it. You describe what blindsided the people in this parable. That, that these people, I went to church, I got baptised, I, I even served in the church. But, but she says, but yes, I, I wanted your heart though. I wanted your heart. Have we really surrendered that to God? Now again, we need to be careful here because... It at times can be easy to get into a works mentality of, okay, this is me working my way to heaven, and, which it's totally not, and, it, and it can't, we can't let it become that, because we're saved purely by God's grace. Amen. But what is this? This striving, making every effort that Jesus wants from us. No, it's not about checking all these boxes, but it brings forth this imagery of this struggle. That, that sort of this leave it all on the field that we saw England do, where you're just fighting till the end. This just, this effort. That, that I'm going to surrender my will to the will of God. And, and if you don't think that surrendering your will to the will of God is a struggle, you may not have tried to do it. Or you may have not made every effort to do it. Because that is agonizomai where we get the word agonize from. To put aside the desires in our heart and instead let God take centre stage. That desire to, to climb up the ladder, and I know I, I struggled with that so much uh, in my last job. This, you see everyone else fighting for the ranks and you think, I, I want that too. And, and you work at all costs to please your boss and putting him before God, putting him before building the kingdom, before building your family, before... And and we get so confused because we say, well, I'm working hard and and it's so my family will have a better life and it's so that I'll be able to give more to the church and surely God will understand. But but then we, we no longer spend quality time with God. We no longer make it to midweek services. We no longer have family devotionals. We no longer have our special times with our Father in Heaven. 
So we think, he understands, surely. I'm trying. I'm trying here, God. But not making every effort. And again, this, this idea of, uh, is that idea is a teo, this idea of agonizomai, it comes from the root word agon, which basically means arena. And it painted this picture to make every effort to struggle, to strive, to contend with an opponent in an arena. And so it's, it's got so much imagery right there. And, and really for us, quite simply, what, what arena do you need to get into and win the battle for God? Win the battle for Jesus over self. To win the battle for righteousness over sin, for living in the light, over living in the darkness. To win, to win this battle for living for the family of God rather than living for self. What, what arena do you need to strive to make every effort? And the famous, uh, he was not a prophet, but he's pretty close to it. Uh, his name is Yoda. And he once said something very similar. With this idea of Zateo. Obviously he must have been reading this and thought, yes, this makes sense. He says, no, try not. Do or do not. There is no try. That image then, Yoda could have said it better, but. Yeah, do the voice. But, no, I won't dare do that. Um, but, uh, but it's this, this idea of that no, what Jesus is saying, trying is not enough. There's too much at stake. The feast in the heaven of God make every effort to be there. Every effort to know me. To, to try, but in the end, to not really succeed, is this idea as a tale. And it's used in, in Luke 5, where you've got the, the friends who have their paralyzed friend, and they try and bring him to Jesus, right? And they get to the house, and it's packed, and they think, oh, we can't, what, what are we going to do? We've tried. And, and to stop there would have been Zateo and game over. Well, we re- I'm so sorry, we really tried. What else can we do? But they went one step further, didn't they? They said, I don't even care if we're going to ruin this poor person's house. We're digging a hole. We're dropping you through the roof. Sorry, mate. Get a new roof. I don't know. That is agonizomai. That I will not stop. That nothing will get in the way. We need to have this sort of attitude as we seek to be close to God. That nothing will get in the way. No distance, no job, no promotion, no sin, no sport, no busyness. If it does, then you simply haven't agonizomai. You simply haven't made every effort. But it's tough because Christianity has made us think this way. I know for myself, growing up, going to church, I was not making every effort at all. Uh, For me, I was so surprised as I actually finally started to study this. and It it shouldn't have been a surprise, but it was. I, I viewed myself as a good kid. And I thought, well, okay, sure, I know I haven't repented and been baptised, but if I died now, of course, God, of course, you, you know I've tried. And it was this, well, I'm a good kid, I'm not as bad as my friends at school, I haven't done this or that. And, yeah. and for me, I just had to realise, no, no. It, and I'm very grateful because I had people in my life who really said, no, you need to study this. And, they, and God's word started to change my heart. And I'm sure we've all been in different stages like that, haven't we? 
But, but it doesn't matter whether you've been a member here for 25 years or you walked in the door 25 minutes ago. Let the Holy Spirit bring conviction that you make every effort. That is what we're called to. It's a beautiful, glorious, festive fight that we are in. And, and it will, and subordinating our will to God's will, at first it will not be nice. That's always a struggle. But in the end, that brings peace. And if you've done it, you know that that brings peace. And, and that's only the foretaste of what is to come. Which brings us to our second and last point, which is gather close to God. <clears throat> And if you guys have ever been to uh, a theme park before, like Alton Towers or something like that, and especially, maybe it's not you, or you, but you've seen it or you've experienced it, but there's maybe parents with their kids, and maybe they've got lots of kids, and they're there, and, and it's always a hectic time, isn't it? There's lots of people going around, especially in summer, I'm assuming, here, in Australia it definitely is, and, and it can be crazy, and all the kids want to go on the different rides, and and it gets hectic and, and obviously the parents say no, no, no stay together everyone hold each other's hand do not run off and, but there's always not always but there's sometimes that, that one kid who says now I'm making an executive decision here <laughs> I've seen the Ferris wheel I've been awed by its majesty I'm just, I'm just going to go check it out for a little bit I'll be right back I see where my parents are I see where the Ferris wheel is I'm fastest in my class at running. I'll get there, see it, get back. It'll be fine. (laughs) Of course, the kid gets there, blown away by this Ferris wheel. He loses track of time and and he turns around and, oh no, my parents, where did they go? Oh well, I'm sure. They know how much I love the Ferris wheel. They'll come back. May as well take a few spins on this bad boy and maybe see if I can get a better view from up there as well. I might have to find it. And you have the, the kids having this marvellous time, but comes down and, and as time ticks on, starts to get worried. Oh no, are they ever going to find me? They've got so many kids, maybe they've forgotten that they have the fifth one, I don't know. But of course, eventually the family find the kid and and what does the mother or father do? Kind of it's a mixture of love and anger and frustration and skip. They just grab the child and don't you ever do that again. I'm never going to let you go. And it's this beautiful imagery of this caring love that a mother or father has for their child. And we read from 31 on and we get that imagery, don't we? That Jesus talks about in in verse 31, he says, At that time some Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on toward, on today and tomorrow and the next day. For surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those that sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. That imagery there. But so often we can kind of be like that child that runs off and, and we think, God, just give, just wait a minute. 
I see the ride. I'll be right back. I promise. I'm not going far. Nothing bad can happen, surely. And then you look back and you realise, oh no, I've drifted it a lot further away than I thought I would. And it's a scary concept. And Jesus says, I want to gather you. As a mother hen gathers her chicks. Such protection. I should have got an image up of it, but there's some great images online of this. It spreads its wings and it's amazing. That protection. And here, obviously at the start of 31, the Pharisees say, hey Jesus, get out of here. Herod's wanting to kill you. How nice of the Pharisees to do this? Wow, they're really looking after Jesus, I'm sure. Probably not. Most likely they're probably conspiring with Herod and, and they don't want to face public opposition because a lot of people still like Jesus at this point. So that, hey, maybe we just scare him out and we don't have to arrest him or try and do something crazy. And, and Jesus says, go tell that fox. Whoa. Jesus. Name calling here. This is flawed. <laughs> calling not just anyone, but the king. And a fox was regarded as kind of like the slyest of animals. It was sneaky, it was destructive. And here, it's a case of Herod being a sly, cunning, destructive man. And Jesus saying, nothing will stop me. Nothing will stop me. I will keep on going. He says, anyways, all the prophets die in Jerusalem anyway, so I'm not going to die here. That's where I'll die, and that's where I'm going. And you think, wow. We get to see Jesus practice what he preached. Not trying, making every effort. Agonizomai. But, but as he begins to think about this, this death here, in, in verse 34, all of a sudden, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And this is like a cry. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets. I long to gather you, but you have rejected me. And, and you can just feel the, the cut in his heart, the hurt. That who should have loved him the most? Jerusalem. The, the, the centre of the nation that, that was meant to be the light to the rest of the world. And yet they're the very ones who will crucify him shortly. It's a, it's a sad, sad sight. And so he gives this cry out, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. What agony he is feeling. And again, then he, oh, this, this imagery of this mother hen, again, I'm not a mother, so I don't completely understand motherly love, but, but I am said enough from my mum and seeing other mums, and, and it's this like protection at all costs. Where's my son? Where's my daughter? Are they okay? Checking up. Oh my goodness, is everything okay? And, and that's, that's how Jesus feels about us. Always concerned. And even he has this concern for Jerusalem who are about to crucify him. So no matter how far we've gone, how bad we think maybe we are, we are never too far from God's love, his open arms. He says, I, I choose you. And again, we have so many reasons to go to Jesus, yet so often we can wander away, can't we? We can, we can wander away. 
you think, if things get bad, I'll be right back, God. But, but look, there's just a few things I need to go do first. I'll come right back. But the door may be closed by that point. Like, it won't be that bad. I want to experience some things for myself right now. But then we get separated from God. And over time, we become numb to it, callous, and we don't even see this, the consequence of our sin anymore. And you may have felt that way, where it doesn't feel like your sin's actually affecting God that much. And sometimes it takes your sin really hurting someone close to you to kind of wake you up, doesn't it? Where it affects a, a spouse, a sibling, a best friend. And you realise, oh, oh my goodness. And sometimes we need that, but then we need to realise, how much more does this hurt God? What does He feel as I choose sin instead of Him? What, what is it for you this morning? Have you drifted from God because you either gather close to God or you gather close to your sin? What, what do you want to shelter you? Sin can look appealing, but we know it's, it long term does nothing but destroy our soul. It doesn't fill us up, it only deceives. Jesus says, I long to gather you. I want to be with you in spite of all the mess and sin he longs for us. His protecting love. And you think of what God has done just so far in your life to bring you here till this point. All the different things, stuff you're not even aware of. But even the things that you are, it's just mind-blowing. How involved in our life he wants to be. How could we not run to God? How could we not run to God? Are you willing this morning to go to God, gather close to Him? God longs to gather us and longs to love us and wants us to feel that intimacy, love and peace that He wants to offer. So we, we need to agonize, make every effort to gather close to God, to submit to His will for your life and, and then we will taste that sweet Feast of the kingdom of God. Once you surrender your life, it won't be this, oh, this grinding out. No, it won't be. It'll be peace, because God is in control. And and know it, every time that that we come to that place and we align our, our will to God's, that moment where we get past that initial struggle, but we're yoked with Him, it's nothing but joy and celebration. Church, what is your arena that you need to make every effort in? That you've got some unfinished business in? Don't don't wait. Act now. And, And this is just a foretaste of the feast in the kingdom of God. At the end, the real festival awaits. Where we will sit with our brothers and sisters, prophets, kings, all the different people throughout the time who have remained faithful. And we will sit across from our Lord. And he will look over to you and smile that you made every effort, no matter how hard it got. And he will be filled with complete joy that you were there with him. What a celebration that will be. Amen.